Welcome back to From the Frying Pan. This is Vince Cassay. I am your host. We will be talking about something very vital to any business's success today, and that is called the interview. The most important action you can take for your business to ensure that you're bringing on the right people, that you are matching your culture to the people that want to be a part of it, uh, aligning your vision with people that are excited to be a part of your team and to execute whatever position you're hiring for. And make no mistake, the interview is probably the single most important act you will make as a business owner because you are basically opening the gates to your kingdom and allowing someone to come into that kingdom and either wreak havoc, impress the hell out of you, raise your kingdom to a new level, fly a flag higher than it's ever been flown before, conquer new lands, whatever it means to your business, the people are your most valuable asset. And how you bring those people into your business is probably the most important decision you can make. So whether you're starting from scratch and you're opening a new concept and you're hiring dozens or over a hundred people, the interview process is probably the most important and fundamental thing that you will do. So I'm gonna start with an analogy to describe how I feel the interview process is a priority to all business owners. So the kingdom is the easiest analogy for me because there's this beautiful castle uh, with a flag raised high above it to let everyone know in that surrounding territory or country or county or wherever it sits, um, who is the leader of that kingdom and what they stand for or represent. And it is protected by small and large towers on different corners of this large building. And there are people there to protect it from high, from low. Um, There's probably a large gate surrounding uh, the entire castle to make sure it's protected from invaders. There may or may not be a moat or some sort of mechanism to prevent people from surprise attacks. Uh, There's probably a long drawbridge that can be raised to prevent people from going over that moat. Um, there's a lot of things protecting it. And when you think of your business, what is it that you are protecting? Um, you're ultimately protecting the culture, uh, the integrity, um, the energy and the flow of operations and the morale of the staff that you have inside. You're also protecting the training that's been put in place. If you don't protect those things, then over time you can degrade Uh, the operation, you can degrade the customer experience. Uh, Worst of all, you can degrade the morale or the energy of your team by allowing people to enter and join that team that either don't belong there, they don't understand how to contribute at the highest level or to the best degree. Um, And they also can form a cancer-like energy on your team that can bring down everyone, including yourself as the leader. So in the interview process, there's a couple things that I recommend. Um, And this takes some time getting organized and getting really clear on what you want, um, who you want, and how you want them to perform so that you can craft a conversation and you can craft questions and you can create a dialogue that is meaningful that acts somewhat like the drawbridge or the moat or the guys in the towers, uh, you know, protecting what is important to your business. Um, So, you know, it's really important that you get organized and prepared to do this process. And what I mean by organized is I think that we have all participated in an interview that wasn't really scheduled properly. And what I mean by that is you showed up to a business uh, assuming that you were going to meet said person at said time and you sit in the lobby and you wait and you wait and you wait and they show up and they seem frantic and very busy and they apologize for keeping you waiting and they of course you know make some time at a table or a booth or you know a high top in that particular restaurant and they sit down very hurriedly and they look over your application for the first time and they ask them really really dumb questions that they probably could have prepared for better and then they start to tell you about their business instead of asking you about yours And they try to sell you, you know, how great this restaurant is. Yeah, we're good at this. We're amazing at this. You know, we look for the best of the best of the best. Um, You know, we hold people accountable. And they feed you a story that makes them feel better um, and prepares you to agree with them. 
which of course is the easiest thing to do. So, you know, they're not organized, they're not timely, they're not giving you their undivided or focused attention. People are stopping by to interrupt. Uh, they might get up and excuse themselves to handle something and then come back and, oh, where were we? Okay, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this type of interview is very counterproductive. I've seen it, I've witnessed it uh, early in my career. I participated in it um, and actually gave these types of interviews. And I walked away with someone nodding their head thinking, wow, yeah, this was a great interview. I really like them. They have the look, they have the feel, the energy, they're cool. Let's hire them. And really, I haven't found out much about them in terms of how they're going to fit into my culture. Um, are they going to receive my training properly? Uh, are they going to fit in with the staff that I already have? Are they going to complement the staff that I already have? I didn't really learn enough in that particular time span to make a calculated and quality decision. Um, and I'm fearful uh, that a lot of people are going through the same process and they're not organized and they're not giving themselves the time to get organized. So, you know, that's number one. Number two, what are you looking for for that position? Uh, and I'll give you a few examples. So, you know, when I think of a bartender in a great restaurant, if I'm a guest, not an, not an employer, not a leadership, if I'm a guest, I sit down, I'm looking for someone that looks good, whatever that means, whether it means they have a good looking uniform, uh, they're well kept, they're shaven, their hair's up, uh, they're wearing makeup, uh, they are smiling immediately when I sit down, they have a great personality, they're friendly, uh, they're knowledgeable about the products that they're serving. So if I ask a question about, you know, what kind of bourbons they have in their house, Manhattan, or their old fashioned, or what kind of ingredients go in their margarita, they're going to answer those questions knowledgeably and with enthusiasm. Uh, and those two things are really important to that particular position. Now, those qualities could also be present in a busser or a server assistant, but those aren't the qualities I'm looking for to fill that particular position. So each position throughout your organization and in your restaurant has a certain number of criteria that is vital for that position to be successful and to contribute in a meaningful way. And so to give you an opposite example, if I'm hiring a prep person, I'm not hiring someone that's super congenial and talkative and is knowledgeable and wants to chit chat all day. Uh, I'm looking for someone that's organized, that's clean, uh, that can read a recipe and follow it to exacting standards. I'm looking for someone that comes in and wants to do the grunt work and really enjoys that because that person is going to be passionate about a position five days a week, 40 hours a week. And if they don't like those things and they don't want to work alone and they don't like being told what to do or being guided in different directions or being held accountable when their product doesn't meet the standards of the kitchen manager or the sous chef or the chef, then you've hired the wrong person and you're gonna have turnover issues, you're gonna have compliance issues, you're gonna have people that aren't excited and passionate about their job. So it's gonna be very difficult to motivate and inspire that person to do great things because you hired a person that doesn't match those qualifications. So getting organized and kind of understanding what each position requires is really important for the interviewer. That way they can guide the interview for the interviewee in terms of finding and revealing those particular things. So that's really important. Uh, reviewing the application, this sounds super fundamental, but if you don't take the time to do that, you might conduct an entire 30 or 45 minute interview that's worthwhile. You ask all the right questions. Uh, the interviewee has great enthusiasm, really understands what you're looking for. They understand what you need. Um, and at the end, you look over the application and, oh, they only want to work two days on Tuesday and Thursday at nighttime. And that's not what you're hiring for. Or they don't have reliable transportation and that may be an issue for them to get to work on time or at all on the days they're scheduled. So really taking the time to look through that application and go, hey, what am I looking for right now? And does this applicant suit those needs before I even call them, before I even talk to them, before I even check a reference? I need to make sure that I'm putting a square peg in a square hole moving forward and then gathering better information with the actual interview. So take some time and look over the application, leaf through them, make some notes, put a post-it note on top and say, hey, I want to ask them about availability because maybe they're open to change. Or hey, I noticed you worked at this type of restaurant. I really want to ask some questions about what experience they have coming in from that type of restaurant. So really do some work there. The 
Other thing that I find very important over time, especially if you have a team of people doing interviews, is that there should be a list of questions for each interview. And what I mean by that is the first interview is kind of the clarification time. Hey, you worked here. Hey, you're available these days. Hey, you're looking for this position. Hey, this is the pay that you would like for that particular position. These are the hours you're looking for. You're trying to clean up and create a really concise fit to move forward to really dig into the meaningful stuff. And the reason this is important is that first interview is a qualifying interview. It's really opening the gate to that castle to then talk to the next person. Um, when I was at a few positions prior to this particular uh, podcast, I would try to craft those things and make it clear that you're doing this first interview and these are the questions you're going to ask. Or I'm going to do the first interview, but I'm going to ask the same questions no matter who's doing it. So if I'm doing the first interview as the general manager or the executive chef, I'm going to ask the qualifying questions and then I'm going to pass them along to the next person. They're going to ask a completely different set of questions. Now, there may be some overlap because there's curiosity. Maybe there's some types of questions that can spawn different answers depending on who's asking them or the atmosphere or the personality connect. Uh, You know, there's different things that you can do in the interview. But for the sake of being structured and not wasting people's time, Uh, And not wasting your own time because let's face it, your time is super valuable. And the more time that you spend interviewing and firing and terminating and training, the more energy you're taking away from running your business. And ultimately, a leader should be leading his business. And if you're spending time cleaning up messes and hiring because turnover is is extremely frequent um, or you're spending all your time training and retraining, then you're spinning your reels and you're really never going to move your business to the next level which is why the interview is so important. So day one, interview one, I'm gonna ask these questions. Day two, interview two, I'm gonna ask these types of questions. And if there happens to be an interview three, that's where you're really trying to dig a little bit deeper and qualify if your gut feeling tells you that they're going to be a fit or not. And there's nothing wrong with having a third interview. I wouldn't waste someone's time unless you're really, really interested and you're on the fence. Um, But that expression on the fence, it's really easy to push me to either side. If you're not available when I need you or you want too much money, I'm on one side of the fence completely. I'm not teetering at all. Um, If you've shown some really good initiative, you've researched my company or my restaurant, uh, you have some really quality questions, then I'm I'm going to be on the other side of the fence. I'm going to think, hey, this person really wants to be a part of my organization. They've done some research. They have some great things to add value to it. And what they're looking for is to be a part of something that maybe they can be proud of and also how they can contribute to something great, which is what you're going to find out during the interview number two or number three. Does experience matter? I get this question a lot. Um, I've never worked in the restaurant business and I want to be a grill cook. Yeah, in this case, experience matters. I'm sorry, but grill cooks are hard to find, are super valuable in almost every business and restaurant I've ever worked in. And I'm gonna tell you that, yeah, you need to become really good at this position before I'm gonna put you in a key role like that. Now, if you've never worked in the restaurant industry and you wanna be a host or you wanna be a busser or you want to be a secondary prep cook where you're chopping potatoes and onions and lettuce and things like that, I can train you how to do those things and you don't need a whole lot of experience. And a lot of times, the expression to work your way up in a business, that's where that comes from. It comes from a regard where someone wants to be a part of the business as a whole, but they don't have the experience to do the top level stuff or the stuff that's super specific. Uh, If I were gonna go into sales with no experience, no personality, no charisma, um, and no experience in that particular role, I would be hard-pressed to get that position and I would really, really question the person that offered me that opportunity because there are certain things that I need for that position and if I don't have them and I do have the experience, then I know that I can work a little bit and that it's a pliable thing. Experience does matter, but it depends on the level and it depends on the background. Uh, If you have experience in fast casual, and you're used to the pressure and turning things over and you know 45 second to 60 second deadlines and quality checks and things like that, I think that's super valuable in a lot of aspects of our business and our industry. However, if that's your bulk experience and you're applying for a fine dining server position, that's a pretty big leap. It's a pretty big leap of faith on my part to give you an opportunity as you know the interviewer or the hiring manager. It's also a pretty big leap for you to take because there's a lot of missing details from where you have come 
to where you want to be. So I would say experience is important, um, but I would caution people in a leadership or a hiring mode to disqualify people quickly. You know, it's important that people are hungry, um, that have a good work ethic, that can socially fit into a team dynamic and really understand how to work well on a team. Uh, it's also important that they have integrity and character. So if there's questionable things happening on your team, you know they're gonna make good decisions there. So if I have this candidate that's charismatic, that has a great personality, that's very vibrant, energetic, that really wants to be a part of something great, I'm gonna let them work their way up and I'm gonna be very clear with them and say, hey, I'm putting you in the position because I think that you have the traits necessary to succeed on my team. However, you don't have the experience for this particular position. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we've all done it at our time. I think the restaurant industry has been very, very successful by making people work their way up and really seeing if they're a good fit and if they're capable of that position because you really don't know. And the tricky part about hiring people in a questionable or an unexperienced background is that once they're in your building, it's very challenging to get rid of them. It's very difficult. We want to make, you know, excuses or we want to make exceptions or we want to give them a little latitude or we want to give them a you know two three strikes uh, or we like them and we don't want to fire them because we feel bad that that would happen to someone that's likable and has great traits but ultimately you have to guide that deal and that's what really the interview is all about you are a gatekeeper at this point and you are trying to bring in the best possible candidate for the position that either they are applying for or that you are hiring for and, and you have to take it seriously and you have to really put in the effort to get organized, to get this outline in place and to use it every time until it's super duper natural and, and, and it's second nature. What is trainable and what is not is another topic that I think is important when we are looking at a candidate that is likable or fits the certain peg that we're looking for. So the example is this. I can train anyone on how to wait tables. It's a process. If you're smart and you follow direction and you can be repetitious and over time you're coachable, I can take anyone off the street and train them to wait tables. What I can't train them to do is to have empathy. I can't train them to be hospitable. I can't train them to care about the team more than they care about themselves. Those are things that you either know walking in the door or you have a feeling for based on your background, how you were raised, uh, where you've worked in the past. I would tell you that if I hired someone from Chick-fil-A, I would understand that they're good people, they have great integrity, great character, they work hard, and they fit in with the hospitality. They have the hospitality bug. They wanna take care of people that are yelling, they wanna take care of family members, they wanna take care of people that are smiling. Uh, the lonely guy that comes in on uh, Monday morning to get his coffee and his, you know, his breakfast burrito, whatever it is, they want to smile and be courteous and kind and take care of those people. I feel really good. They built a really good culture on that. When I have someone that comes from a fine dining background, it's different. It's still hospitality, uh, but it's not as relaxed. It's maybe not as personable in the beginning. You know, It may be a little more structured, a little bit more yes sir, no sir, um, a little bit more this is how we do things here at this restaurant that is you know, white tablecloth and polished wine glasses. Neither one of them is better, but I cannot train someone to be friendly, smiling, and energetic. That has to be something that they are coming to the table with. And in our industry, it is probably one of the most vital characteristics you can make sure or ensure that you have bringing the candidate into your particular business because we are a people business. We're a business of people, taking care of people, and building more people to come into our business. And the only way you can do that is hospitality. It is caring for people. It is giving for the sake of giving. It is giving the benefit of the doubt when people are in a tough situation or a bind. It is being understanding or compensating when times demand for those things. It's not rigidness. It's not apathy. It's not stereotyping or pulling back when you don't like a situation. It's overcompensating and really making sure that when they walk out the door, they know one of two things. You really, really cared about them and you tried your best or you're willing to do whatever it takes to get them back in the door. And those are things that I think over time you could train, but they're not natural and it's not easy to do. 
So trainable, not trainable, experience, not experience, they're super important. So the nuts and bolts of the interview are also very important. Leading questions are not going to give you the answers and the true results by asking them this way. So I think teamwork is really important. Do you like teamwork? Well, what are they supposed to say? Yeah, no, I I hate teamwork. I like working alone. I can't stand working and relying on other people. And to be honest, I perform my best when people just leave me alone and allow me to perform my job function. Yeah, you're never going to get that answer uh, because people should be smart enough to give you the answer you want. So if you ask leading questions, you're going to get the leading answer. You have to be a little bit backwards about your questions to reveal the true personality of your candidate. So a different example would be, hey, tell me about something you really loved on the team that you worked for at your last job and describe what that meant to you, how that made you feel. Well, they're going to pick something out of their own experience. They're going to give you their own feelings. They're not going to know what you're looking for. um, And they're going to have to give you a representation of themselves in that scenario. So instead of a leading question where you almost provide the answer with the question, you're going to put them in a position where they have to answer their own question in their own terms from their own perspective. And that will give you a leading result of honesty, at least to a higher percentage. Um, Another type of example would be, hey, when you think about the leadership of your last job, what was the challenge? What was your frustration with them? You know, what was the leading cause of you wanting to leave that position or that particular restaurant? And they're going to have to come up with an answer. And if it's something shoddy like, oh, you know, uh, they just never gave me my right schedule. Okay, well, that leads me to believe a couple different things, but at least they're being honest. Um, If it's something serious like, oh, I was involved in a class action lawsuit of sexual harassment, then you're like, okay, kind of a red flag. You know, maybe that's someone I'm going to call for a reference. Um, If they say something like, you know, they were always on top of me for details and wouldn't let things go, that also tells me something about that employee. Now, if they're being honest, it says something about the leadership too, and maybe they're a micromanager or maybe good is never good enough, but it also tells me how they take feedback and how they work in an environment where someone provides constant feedback. So... The type of questions you ask in an interview are super important in terms of revealing the true nature of this future employee. You also want to get out of restaurant-related questions at some point. You want to intrigue and show intrigue and interest in that person. Get to know them. You know, what do they like to do? What are they jazzed up about when they're not at work? What are their hobbies? What are their interests? You know, I remember sitting across from a table from a really, really nice candidate who had a reasonable background and experience and was well-spoken and looked me in the eye and sat with great posture, blah, blah, blah. And I asked her what she did on our free time. And she's like, I like to hang out with my friends and watch TV. Okay, is that really all you do when you're not working? Not that I think that there's anything wrong with those, those pastimes, But what are they really into in life? You know, do they get excited about going to a concert? Um, Do they know how to surf? Um, Are they going to school to be an architectural engineer? Like, I want to know a little bit more about them because those fun details will create a fun work environment. If you're kind of a dud and you go home and you sleep all day and, and you watch TV all night and you hang out with your friends and do the same thing, then maybe you're not really an interesting or exciting person. You know, I don't really know that. And I'm not saying these things to be overly judgmental, but let's be honest. You know an exciting person when you talk to them. You know someone interesting when you talk to them. And those are the people that are going to form relationships and bonds with your customers and your other employees. And I've known many, many interesting employees over the years, people that are going to school for neuroscience, people that, uh, you know, have hobbies with hiking and nature and they make their own granola. I mean, the list goes on and on. And those people are fun to talk to. They're fun to work with. And they also add value to your work environment because they make it interesting and fun when the job gets challenging. Because every day, someone is challenged with something gritty, something they're not enjoying, someone they're not having a good time with, or someone that doesn't reward them for their service or their performance. And so the quicker you can get down to a real level with them and, you know, form a bond or remind them, hey, tomorrow you're going hiking and kayaking all day with your favorite person and your dog. Just let this moment go. The easier the job gets. And I will tell you, the more interesting and the more 
diverse your candidates are um, and your employees and your team members, the more interesting your life and the life of your customers become. And there's no doubt in my mind that the better you do with the hiring of these types of candidates, the better your life and the customer experience and the performance of your team will naturally be. So make sure that you're asking good questions. You know, I read some article about the questions that they ask at Google and Facebook and Tesla, and they're all really interesting questions. And not many of them have anything to do with the job that they're hiring for. They're trying to find out if the candidate has an intellect, um, what type of books that they read, what their interests are, um, geez, what their goals are. You know, do you want to be a full-time grill cook for the rest of your life? Do you want to start your own catering business? Um, are you a fine dining server that is going to start a blog about, you know, uh, sommeliers in the area that your restaurant is residing in? Um, you know, there's so many people that have goals beyond the position that you may be hiring for. And the coolest part of your job as a leader is not necessarily that you're going to offer them a position um, or that they're going to do great things on your team. But what if you could help someone with their dream with the time that they spend with you? If you think of our industry and the turnover that exists in it, the turnover exists for a lot of different reasons. And we'll talk about that in a later podcast. But the turnover also exists because people are temporary in our in our industry. They're doing it for three, four, six years while they go to school, while they save enough money for X, Y, Z uh, until, you know, their spouse gets on their feet and has a different type of job. There's so many things that make people transient in the restaurant industry. But if you isolate them to the good and proper reasons, some of it is because we provide really easy money, um, a great work environment and something that people can be passionate about. And so why not help people onto their next dream? Uh, their next job, their next passionate exercise, you know, whatever that means. If you can provide that atmosphere, you're adding value to them. They're going to add more value to you and everybody wins. Um, so it's really important that, you know, some of these things happen in that sense. So you can really, really, really make an impact on your business and the business and the business of someone else's life. So now here's the hardest one of the interview process. You've got a gut feeling and your gut tells you a lot of different things. You know, your gut feeling is based on experience. It's based on the past successes that you've had with hiring. It's based on the past failures that you've had with hiring, um, where bridges were burnt or, you know, intuition was incorrect. Your gut gives you a lot of things and your gut is the subconscious collective whatever you want to call it, of all of your past experiences, and it's trying to tell you something. And if people wear hats to an interview and everyone you've ever hired with a hat, you've fired within 90 days, then your gut's trying to tell you, dude, don't hire people with hats. We don't have a good success rate. And so, you know, do you follow your gut? Do you not follow your gut? Well, I would say in the long term, follow your gut because you are the protector of your business. You are the gatekeeper of culture, uh, and in team members coming onto your team that are going to contribute. And if your subconscious is telling you, hey, I'm really not sure about this candidate, you need to pay attention to it. Now, it's important to say out loud that it doesn't mean if you have a gut feeling that's not positive that you shouldn't hire them. What it could mean is that you need to pass along the second or third interview to someone else on your team and lead them a little bit and say, hey, I've got a weird feeling. I want you to do a really open, honest interview and give me all you got and let's come back together afterwards and share notes. You don't want to give them what your gut feeling says because then they're, they're biased. They're psychologically biased. They're going to walk in trying to figure out if that gate needs to open or close or if that person really means those things. So don't give them a heads up. Just say, hey, I want a second opinion. Give it your all and let's come back together. They have their own gut feeling. Um, and and they, if they've worked with you long enough and they understand the vision and the culture of your team, then they're ultimately going to succeed in aligning their gut feeling with yours. And they know what you're looking for. I'll give you a quick story. I worked at a restaurant and it was upscale and it was a big restaurant. So the servers were constantly going back and forth and running and I needed people with high energy. And one of the complaints when I got to this restaurant and assumed leadership was that uh, people were exhausted, that they were working too many hours, they were working too many days, um, and there were a lot of call-ins and there were a lot of people that you know showed up late to their shift and there was lack of passion, enthusiasm, etc. So moving forward, I was very, very 
cautious to make sure that I mentioned, hey, this is a high energy work environment. You're going to be on your feet from four to seven hours nonstop. And I need to make sure that you're up to that challenge. And if you're not, please do me the courtesy and just be honest and say, I don't think I can be nonstop for that, or I don't have the energy, or I don't have what it takes to be in that type of environment. And I was really cautious and I would interview and interview and interview. And I generally did the second and third interviews. So I would get this candidate in front of me after they've been vetted and qualified. And I would ask some leading questions and I could tell right away they didn't have the personal energy. So it led me to believe they didn't have the physical energy. And maybe that's not accurate, but that was where my mindset was. And so for about two or three months, I would come back to the managers that were interviewing before me and say, hey, I need energetic people. Here's what you're looking for in this particular process to let me know that they have energy because they don't need to get to me if they're not going to fit. Let's not waste people's time or hope because a second interview means, hey, they like me and they want to know some more stuff. And then the third interview, geez, I'm almost there. I'm almost at the finish line. I just need to really shine and put my best clothes on and, and, and do my hair and shave and really put my personality on, on shine there. And then we don't hire them. And God, that's just a really frustrating feeling for the other side, for the candidate. And all of us have been there in an interview process where it's one, two, three, and then boom, we don't get the interview or we don't get the position. And we wonder why. And no one really tells people why they don't get the job because it's difficult. They say, hey, we're going to pass it this time. We appreciate your time in the process. We look forward to having you a guest in the future. And if our needs change, we'll reach back out to you. And that's just a really nice way of saying you don't fit what we're looking for. And that's a really personal thing for everyone at any level. So, you know, really understanding how these people are going to fit in what the questions you're gonna ask them, what you're looking for, all of these things are super duper important. And they're important to follow a really good cadence because you've gotta make sure interview one is solid. You've gotta make sure interview two is solid. You've gotta make sure you've reviewed your application and they fit the needs before you even proceed forward. You've gotta make sure it's communicated. Oh, by the way, interviewing is about communication. It's about making sure that the leadership and your managers know when someone's going to arrive and who they're going to be talking to and where they're going to sit to get undivided attention. There's so many things. I am begging and pleading with all of you listening to this podcast and anyone that you would like to share this knowledge with, the interview is one of the most important things you can do to build a successful business. And you've got to follow some simple steps and you've got to follow them religiously. Because if you do, you are not only protecting the castle, you are not only protecting the moat, you are not only empowering your people to guard your culture and your team, but you're also making sure that your guests are going to get an amazing experience because the people you bring onto your team are going to execute and perform at the level that you expect them to, that you hold them accountable to, but also that you've prepared them before they even enter the team. So that's the summation of interviewing for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you take some notes away from this. Sit down, go back to your restaurant or your business and say to yourself, have I fully prepared my team and myself to bring in the best possible people and make sure that I guard my castle with the utmost sincerity and seriousness with this process? Because ultimately, your castle's flag can drop at a moment's notice and someone will take over that particular castle, land, or kingdom if you allow the wrong people in your business, if you allow your culture to degrade, if you allowed your teammates to perform at a different level to a different standard because of this person that should not have been let into your castle. It's important, it's vital, and I know that you absolutely understand that. I just wanted to articulate it because I felt like it was important for it to share with all of you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. Again, this is from The Frying Pan. My name is Vince Cassay, and I'm very grateful that you're a part of this and you're listening to it. Please share this with as many restaurant individuals and industry professionals as possible. Text it to them, forward it to them, share it on Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever your social platform is. I appreciate your time and dedication, and I wish you the best of luck. I will also, in the notes, uh, make some connections to my website, 
Uh, I have a website that does consulting and coaching uh, on a personal basis that I would love to be involved with anyone that has the regard or the need in their business to do better, uh, to perform at a higher level, or to clean out some cobwebs and really get this business shiny and new again because after years or a time spent on a job, sometimes the details get a little bit blurry or muddled or they become background priorities because you're so business busy here and there dedicating your time and energy to the things that have become important, it's possible that the things that are actually important have kind of fallen by the wayside or maybe not taken as serious as they once were. And I would love to help with that process. So thank you. Signing off. Have a great shift. Welcome back to From the Frying Pan. My name is Vince Cassay and I'm your host for this podcast. We will be talking today about restaurant success and what that means really in terms of leadership, the employees, the staff, the guest experience, and the overall atmosphere and ambiance. So what leads into a successful restaurant? I think there's a lot of different levels that we can look at. Obviously, the product that's being served Is it served to the specifications of that particular restaurant's leadership? Is the customer enjoying it per those expectations? Is the hot food hot? Is the cold food cold? Is the beer awesome? Is the wine eccentric? Are the craft cocktails out of this world and unique to that location? Are the staff members happy with the work environment that they work in? Is the sanitation up to par? So many different things. But what leads into success, however we define it at our particular restaurant or our location, is ultimately how we execute the agenda. So the agenda being sanitation, the agenda being food costs, the agenda being ticket times, whatever it is that we measure our success by, something is going to contribute to that success or ultimately take away and provide a failure. And the concept that I'm going to talk about this afternoon or today or tonight, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, is called Aces in Places. Hopefully, if you've been in the restaurant industry long enough, you've heard this expression, putting aces in their places. And it's a catchy phrase. And basically what it means is, who are the performers? Are you putting them in the right spot at the right time? to execute whatever it is that is your main priority that will allow you to perform at a high level and keep that experience of that shift for the customer, for the guest, for the staff members, for your management or leadership team, whatever it is, are you going to keep it to the highest level and really enjoy what you're doing? And let's be honest, for the amount of hours that we spend and the commitment that we put into working in the restaurant industry, we want to have a great shift. We want to look at the end and go, wow, man, we killed it. Ticket times were amazing. Or, hey, everyone that walked out was smiling and had a great experience. Or, you know, the staff that was working tonight really gelled together, worked together, had fun. Their morale was up, you know, at the utmost high at that point. And you could tell everyone's having a good time. And that's every shift's goal, whether it's Sunday brunch, whether it's Friday night and it's date night, whether it's a really busy holiday. The goal is always the same. We want to run a great restaurant. We want to execute at a high level. And there's something that goes into that. And it's basically strategy. And it's something that I struggled with in the beginning of my career because I didn't understand the value of it. I thought, well, these people want these days off or they don't want to work these shifts or, you know, I don't have enough good people. So the shifts run kind of rugged and, and, and not smooth at all. Um, or, you know, God, I just, I'm not hiring the right people for the right positions. I liked him as a bartender, but now he wants to be this and he's not really good over here. There's so many things that I struggled with in the beginning of my career in the restaurant industry. And as time wore on, I'm like, God, there has got to be a better way. And whether I called it aces and places or I had a different expression or I didn't even realize that it was some fun, catchy expression, I thought, you know, I want a little bit of strategy. And I started really looking at the schedules that I was posting and printing and creating. I started looking at the kitchen schedule and who worked what day and really trying to find some anchors, you know, for each shift. 
And it was easier to do on my days off because I loaded up the schedule with the best players because I hoped that when I wasn't there, they could execute at a better level. When I was there, I felt like I had the ability and the tenacity and the work ethic to jump in and really compensate if I didn't have an ace in a place. I could sit there and jump back behind the line or get behind the bar or help bus tables. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but basically it comes down to one single word and it's strategy. If you're not going into your daily routine with strategy, you are doing yourself a huge disservice and ultimately it's going to ripple throughout the guest experience, the staff experience, and your execution and and your, your ability to perform. Individually, as a team, however you want to look at it, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't have some sort of agenda. So I would sit there and I would write the schedules and I'm like, all right, who are my best servers? They're going to be the openers so I can trust them. They'll get set up. They'll have the better sections. They'll get their requests off. They'll get their perfect schedule. Who's working grill on what days? You know, I've got to have a great guy on Friday and Saturday, someone that's fast and efficient, but also accurate. Who are my bartenders on a Wednesday and Thursday night that I'm running a special or a happy hour where I know the volume is going to be high and they're going to be able to smile, execute, but also have a good time in the process. And you really got to sit there and wonder who are the best people for these positions? Can I fit them in all the little peg holes and make sure that everything matches up? And then not that the people around them are unimportant or less important, but let's be honest, it's a rarity that all of your people are aces. It's a rarity that everyone has open availability and the perfect schedule for you will always lay itself before you and go, wow, every day's a dream at this restaurant and I have the perfect opportunity to relax because I've got people that are awesome performing at a high level and really, really love it. So the strategy of the floor plan, the strategy of the opener versus the closer, the strategy of the really quick person that's great at chopping and slicing, um, the strategy of the person that closes excellent, you know, cleanest kitchen you've ever seen. I want that guy closing on a slow night so we can get back ahead to our standards or make sure the kitchen's awesome for the next shift. And what you do over time when you have this strategy and you have this mindset of aces in places, making sure that the shift runs fantastically, you stop being what I call a firefighter. And a firefighter is a young manager or a young leader that spends all of their time in reaction mode. They are putting out fires. They are bouncing back and forth like a pinball machine around your restaurant or in the dining room or in the kitchen, reacting to everything that falls apart running out of product, high ticket times, uh, spill in the dining room, grill recooks, you know, name it, whatever it is. They're just bouncing back and forth, reacting to it because the staff that they have and the places they've put them are not performing to a level that allows them to really do what their actual job is. And it's to be an amazing coach. It's to provide feedback throughout the shift. It's to fine tune those little behaviors, those little actions um, with your staff that is either excellent, the A's, the B's that are almost there that just need a little bit of coaching, a little bit of motivation, or the C's that really haven't figured out how to perform. And you know, your job as a coach is to get everyone to whatever the next level for them is. You don't take a C player to an A, you take them to a B, you get them comfortable, you get them consistent, and then you move them up to an A. And that's a leadership thing. But we're talking about strategy. So, you know, spend your time setting it up, getting a game plan, being the general of an amazing army. You know, and that is the key to generals that win battles and win wars and prevent casualties or minimize the casualties or conquer kingdoms or newfound lands. The generals that are amazing at their job are the ones that understand that strategy is the utmost importance. And let's be honest, when you're going into battle, you want to win. And you don't want to be a firefighter. You don't want to bounce around and be stressed out and your staff's not having fun. And there's a ripple effect behind each of these small fires that happens throughout the day. What you really ultimately want to be is an air traffic controller. You want to be the person up in the tower watching everything happen and allowing planes to land safely, allowing planes planes to take off safely also. You want to make sure the timing is correct. You want to make sure you're getting the most out of your airport, for lack of a better weird analogy. You want to make sure all of the bees are buzzing around in the hive and doing what they're supposed to be doing and not bumping into each other and not hurting anyone else. And you'll find much less stress, much less anxiety, and you'll also find an atmosphere that people like to work in. And when it comes down to the restaurant business and our biggest 
downfall, which is turnover, you've got to figure out how to make the work environment work well. You got to make it fun for people. You got to remove obstacles. You've got to make sure that stress is as low as possible. And let's be honest, you can't eliminate it. It's a stressful job. You know, it's go time all the time, but it's fun if you do it well. And the people in our industry that really are passionate and love it, love it for a very good reason. Reason is because the energy is so it's contagious. And when you're having fun and you're laughing and you're high-fiving and you're selling bottles of wine and you're getting food out of the kitchen that looks amazing and you're selling drinks that people are just like, oh my God, I'm going to tell all my neighbors to come up here next week so I can have this drink. That's where success happens. And it is an amazing feeling. It's a sweet spot of all of these things working together in the same time with the same energy and also because of the strategy that's laid out. So let's talk about aces. You know, what is an ace? Is it someone that's just good at their job? Um, Is it someone that just has the right attitude? Uh, Is it someone that responds differently to stress? So when things get stressful, they don't become stressed. They kind of dial it down a little bit and become stable and focused. Uh, Are they the person that people get along with and they can kind of control the morale of their area, whether it be the host stand or the grill or the saute station or even behind the bar? Um, Are they the person that executes standards and expectations at a higher level naturally? Um, Maybe they're a person that doesn't need quite as much coaching because they're driven by pride, they're driven by ability, and they're also driven by however the reward that's placed in front of them comes back to them. So for example, if I'm going to hire a guy on the grill and he wants $15 an hour and I say, you know what, I'm going to start you at 15, show me what you're made of, here are the things that are really important to me and here's how I want the job done. And he gives that to you and says, hey, now I'd like to make more money. You'd be a fool not to pay him more money, but you'd also be a fool not to explain to him what what that money means. That money carries responsibility, and here are the things that I'm going to see from you when you work. You've got to have an effect on your team. You've got to maintain standards when I'm not around. If I coach you or give you feedback, um, you're going to take it and really apply it in a meaningful way so we can continue to excel and improve every single day. So the answer to the question is an ace is all of those things. Uh, They're the person that when you go to, you can trust and they come to you with solutions to problems that they are seeing, that they're having to go through, that are complicating their day. And let's be honest, what you really want to do as a leader is remove as many obstacles as possible so your people can perform the job at a high level. They can execute it. They're not running out of stakes. You know, the first hour that we open, the simple syrups are all labeled correctly and cooked properly. So when you go to make these amazing cocktails behind the bar, they don't have to reach for it or wonder like, oh, we got an 86 to drink because I didn't make them or it's made incorrectly. Whatever the obstacle is, whether it's tools, processes, systems, or even strategy, you've got to make sure as a leader and a manager in restaurants, It is the most vital thing you can do to determine if your success is going to happen that night or not. And to be fair, everyone has a night that falls apart, even when there's aces in places. Everyone has a night where, geez, you know, we sold 38 lobsters in the first half hour because the staff was so jazzed up about them. And now it's 730 on a Wednesday and we're out of that item. That will happen. For sure. You can't prevent it. It's not a foreseen thing that's going to happen. And it ran away from you. Totally different. And that's not strategy related. That's just happenstance. It just happens that way sometimes. And you do your best to prevent them. But ultimately, a great shift is run by great people focused on one thing. The other part of an ace that's really important is their premise of being an ace is also contingent on the fact that there's someone around them that can help them succeed as well. And a lot of times that we have minimal staff or not a great talented staff or we're in the developing phase or the building phase is we have an ace in a place that's important and we have a completely opposite of an ace working next to him. And what happens is the ace is trying to perform, the guy next to him is not performing at a level that's even remotely close, and that person starts holding the ace back and it makes the ace look bad. And aces do not like to fail, they don't like to be made to look bad, and they don't like to not perform at the level that they're used to and they feel good about. And that's something you really gotta pay attention to because keep an eye on the person next to the ace. 
Are they working in conjunction? Are they trying to achieve a better level? Are they slacking off? Are they a little lazy? Are they working dirty? Whatever it is, because if you neglect those signs, overall in the long term, the ace will stop being an ace because there's no reward for it. They can't execute, they're not happy. And ultimately at the end of the day, they aren't feeling good about themselves and able to contribute the way that they love contributing. So it's really important to look at the people you surround the aces with as well. And maybe you enable them to be a coach and a leader and, and, and motivator for the people around them, you know, and hold people accountable to also build them up as time goes by. So it's important to kind of understand that. When you look at fine tuning, this is something that over time, every coach has to do with their staff, even the great ones, even the great coaches with the great players. You've got football coaches that have these amazing quarterbacks, and you would be absolutely foolhardy to think that that coach doesn't go up to them at the end of the game and give them a couple things. Hey, during that play, maybe you shouldn't have done that. That really wasn't the play that we were calling, or I understand that it was stressful, or this guy wasn't open. Whatever it is, you got to dial it down and make it simple so they can take the feedback and work on it in the future. You don't want to tear them down. You don't want to blame them for failure or blame them for poor decision making. What you want to do is motivate them to make a better decision next time or an alternative that they can pick when the situation prevents itself. So those are the types of things that you fine tune. And, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's a pretty typical statistic, I think, in any work environment. The problem with that in restaurants is that if you really believe that 20% of your staff is doing 80% of the work, then you have 80% of your staff not performing. And I don't think that that's really fair to our staff. I don't think that's a fair comparison to the people that are good or average or improving. And you really need to dial into that deal because aces won't perform at a high level if they're surrounded by 80% of the people that don't want to do their job or don't want to do it at a great level. Because in the long run, over time, they'll be like, well, what's the point? If 80% of the people don't care, why do I have to care? So if you reflect on any large holiday or any large event that you've had in a restaurant, this is a really good time to understand what aces and places means. So at the restaurant I worked at for years, of course, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, um, we had Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve at my location years ago that was like, those were the two busiest days of the year. And when you strategize for those days, you really do it about a month out. You know, you sit down, you're like, all right, how much food are we going to order for that week? What does the product mix look like? What kind of specials do we want to run? And then you roll into schedules. Who's going to be working that night? Who's that person's backup? If someone doesn't show up, who is our guy that's going to save the day and can kind of fit between the two B players to make sure that everyone performs right? You have a strategy and those hopefully were some of the smoothest shifts I've ever run because you have an army of a staff, you've got everyone focused on executing, you've got everyone believing that this is the most important day to every guest that walks in the building. We can't let them down, team. Let's go, go, go. And at the end of the night, it's amazing because everyone has a good time. They're high on success. They're high on ticket times. They did a great job. Everyone's high-fiving. You know, there's food, there's cookies, maybe there's beer. I don't know what your rules are, but whatever the reward is, whatever the celebration is, it's an amazing feeling. And that strategy can go into a day-to-day. So flash forward to another restaurant I worked at. Sunday in this particular restaurant, when I arrived there as the manager or the general manager, I was soon to find out that half of the staff doesn't work Sunday, quote unquote. They don't want to work that day. It's a family day. Um, I go to church. I mean, a lot of different reasons. And I don't want to disregard any of those reasons or you know make them less important. But ultimately, we're here to run a business as leaders. And if Saturday is the day that's a total catastrophe that it's chaos because you have C and B players running the restaurant on a super busy day, especially brunch, um, and you're in a location maybe that does a great evening business, it's a rough day and no one likes working it and it actually perpetuates itself even more to a negative level. So you really got to be careful about you know honoring requests and making sure people have a great work experience and then the customer suffers because of that. 
You know what I mean? And you got to really strategize around that and go, okay, you know, for the next two months, everyone I hire has to be able to work these shifts that are super important. Or, hey, there's some gaps that exist because I lost my head host and she worked Monday through Friday in the evenings. And now, you know, we're kind of struggling to make sure the guest experience is great when people walk in the door. So there's a lot to strategy and it's nonstop, people. And, and you know as well as I do that we lose people, people move on, we promote people, uh, we allow people to grow within our company or within our restaurant or within our location. And movement is always something that we're trying to do because people want to learn more. So whatever the reason that you have, you know, a change in an area or, you know, a change in the leadership in that area, you've got to keep going. You know, you lose a quarterback on a team, you'd be a fool not to have a good backup quarterback. Even though it might cost you a little bit of money and they're not performing, you may need them at some point. So this one podcast is not about development and building a bench, but aces and places, aces do come from somewhere. And sometimes it's not just hiring off the street. They might be someone you develop in your own restaurant because you'll need them someday. It may be someone you put in a stressful position so they can kind of sink or swim and get that anxiety out and be able to work it through because a lot of people work that way. Um, Maybe it's someone you're developing personally and you take them under your wing and you show them the stressful situations and you provide an outlet for them to flex their wings, you know, or, or really try different situations that are new to them or unknown or that they haven't had any experience in, but you can build your own aces. And, and I highly recommend it, especially in our industry. Uh, I was a person that came up from waiting tables to bartending to hourly key employee to assistant manager who didn't know anything, by the way, even with all of those little promotions and steps. And then general manager, I was like, oh my God, I'm weighing over my head, but I'm going to fake it until I make it and figure it out. And it took a while. I'm not going to lie to anyone on this podcast. It took me a while to get a rhythm. And when I got the rhythm, I started fine tuning everything, how we ordered, what our product mix looked like, what our labor matrix looked like, how we control food cost, how we did events in our community, how we hired and terminated people, what our training program looked like. And so you fine tune a lot of things and your aces are the people that help you with that. They're the ones that you go to and say, hey, I wanna do something new, but I need your support because if you support me, everyone's gonna see that and the transition's gonna be a little bit easier. Uh, I had an expression with my kitchen manager for a long time at one of the locations I worked at, and it was basically, hey, we're going to try something. We're going to try it for 30 days, and it may or may not be a popular change, but we're going to try it. But what I really need you to do is support me when any dialogue comes up about this, because if you don't support me, it's just Vince with another crazy idea. If you support me, the team's going to go, okay, he knows what he's doing and he's on board. So I can't fight two people that are leaders. We're going to roll with it. And the second part of that expression was, we're going to do it this way for 30 days, comma. And at the end of the 30 days, if no one likes it and it doesn't yield a result, we will go back to the original Whatever, whether it's a system, whether it's how we do something, the timing, the location, whatever. And it worked. It worked a lot of the times. And sometimes it didn't work. And the aces were the ones that told me, hey, this isn't working. I'm trying really hard to do what you want me to do and give you the results you want. But I've got to be honest with you. This doesn't work. And if it doesn't work for me, it definitely doesn't work for the people that work when I'm not here. And those are important lessons. And you've got to give your aces the credence and the value and the support when they say honest things like that. Because not only do you create value for them on your team, but you create a line of communication and a roadmap to success. Because if the aces can communicate to their leader and the leader listens, they'll continue to communicate about really important things. And I remember a time when I was walking down the line, looking at some product before we opened one day. And one of my aces said, hey, can I show you something? And he went and pointed it out. And it was a quality thing. And it was really, really small. And he said, what would you like me to do? And I said, what do you want to do in this situation? If I wasn't here and it was completely your choice and you were in charge, what would you do? He said, I'd throw it away. It's garbage. And I said, then throw it away. And you tell me what I need to do to get it back up here in the right way. And I knew the answer and I knew it was the right thing and I knew where he was headed, but I wanted to empower him to make a great decision. I wanted to empower him to know that he's got skin in the game. He is part of this team and he's going to be able to make decisions and have good feedback and good perspective. And that is something that 
I watched over the first few months that I really started powering him. And he started having dialogue with the staff around him that was working next to him going, hey, dude, you need to do this a little better. Hey, that's not how we do it here. Give me a new one. Hey, it's going to be a few minutes. We're just going to cook a new chicken or whatever the dish was. And I started seeing him grow and I started seeing him take more pride and more ownership and more communication started to happen through that particular ace than had ever in my whole career with him. And it was really a blossoming time. And I sat him down a few months later and I said, hey, I am absolutely just to the moon with your performance lately and your ownership and you're really digging in and I really couldn't be happier. I wanna give you a raise. Let's talk about more money. How is your schedule? How is your family life? And you really start to make these amazing bonds with your staff. And not that the aces are more important than the other people, but I will tell you that you gotta kinda work from the top down so the aces know that they're very valuable and they have an effect and then that bleeds into your B team that you start to develop into an ace. And then all of a sudden, X amount of time goes by and you're running this amazing restaurant. You've got a ton of aces. You've got aces on day one. You've got aces on day two. You've got aces in the PM, some in the AM. You've got aces that are jockeying for the next position or promotion or whatever. And you have this environment of just performance and execution and excitement and everyone's jazzed up because the vision and all of the work and motivating them and really recognizing their performance has paid off. And it's a great Great feeling because now the leadership can focus on what's next. And there's always a what's next, whether it's building sales, having a better food cost, doing more events in your community, um, developing more managers or more aces, so to speak. You know, there's always something for us to do. But if you are continually in firefighter mode and putting out fires and having no strategy and being the pinball and the pinball machine just being bonked around, bonked around with weird noises and bumpers and all of that, you're never gonna get ahead. You're never gonna build something that you can be proud of. You're never gonna get great results, whether they be financial uh, cash flow or financial sales building. You're never gonna get the food cost dialed down to the perfect number where you're really making the most money you can. Uh, and you're never gonna build business through your team and have bartenders that are making great money instead of a bartender that has super low morale because they're not making money because no one wants to sit at their bar. Um, all of these things are interrelated and the strategy is the leader's biggest tool for success. So when we think about aces and places, I want you to go back to your restaurant. I want you to really take a hard look at your schedules, at your lineup on the days that you're off, uh, your holiday prep schedule versus you know your random Tuesday where you might take the day off. How are those different? Are they executing at the level that you would be proud of and that you expect? Uh, and really ask some hard questions of the people that work on your day off. You know, I always had uh, this girl that worked for me that was fantastic. She worked every Tuesday, so I knew that I could take Tuesday off. And when Wednesday came back around and we worked together, I was like, hey, how was it? Where did we fall down? Who stepped out of line? And not for, you know, the point of going back to those people and beating them up, but for a point of coaching, you know, how can I better strategize for that day? And a random Tuesday is no big deal. It's usually a slow day in most restaurants, but there are still guests coming to that restaurant. There are still guests getting to go food. There are still guests sitting at the bar. And you want to make sure that they have just as good as an experience as the people that come out for date night on Friday when we're fully loaded with staff and we're rocking and rolling or the people that come out to celebrate their birthday on a Thursday and there's happy hour or you know wine discounts or whatever it is that you offer, you wanna make sure that every guest gets the same experience. And while that's not always possible, it should be everyone's intention and it should be every day and every shift and every person that walks in the door. So really go back, talk about strategy with your leadership team, look at the schedules, look at the prep list, look at the floor plans, you know, are they balanced out? Look at who's running the host stand, look at who your, you know, anchor bartenders are, you know, the hammers or the cleaners or the guest people or the person in the well that just Ticket times are amazing. Look at all those people and say, have I spread everyone to the right area at the right time and where are my gaps? And then you gotta sit down and be honest with yourself and say, okay, 
Do I need to move people around? Do I need to hire more people? Do I need to start developing a different, uh, you know, strategy to make sure that these holes don't exist? Um, you know, and where are my resources? You know, am I looking on Indeed? Am I looking on Craigslist? Am I looking on Monster? Am I looking at other restaurants when I go out to eat and go, hey, I'd really love it if they were on my team. Let's start recruiting. Or hey, talk to your staff and say, hey, you know, you have friends that you work at another restaurant on the AM shifts and we need PM people. Do you think that you could talk to a couple people that you would like working with and see if they want to work a second job, maybe a couple days a week. There are many ways that you can fill in gaps in our industry, but you've really got to be tenacious. You've got to get out there and get creative and start recruiting people. I remember very, very long ago, uh, a manager of mine recruited this kid and he walked in and we did an interview and I loved him. I loved him right away. He had a great personality. He was super personable. Um, I could tell he was someone that cared for people and wanted to take care of people, but he had never worked in a restaurant a day in his life. And he was recruited from a local grocery chain that was known for their service. And so we hired him. You know, I, I didn't think it was the best idea, but I really liked the guy. And we hired him and he became one of my best employees. And what I mean by that is a lot of different things. But I would tell you that if you talk to any table that he waited on, they were ecstatic with service. They would tell every friend that week. They would go on Yelp or whatever and say, this was amazing. This server was fantastic. He made our whole evening. He knew this. He knew that. He did that. And you want people like that on your team. And so sometimes you got to think outside the box and really go after people that match the culture uh, in terms of hospitality and service and giving versus, you know, the hammers. You know, hammers are good, but, you know, you can train people how to be better at their job. You can't necessarily train people how to care and love your guests. So that's a lot to take in. Strategy, aces and places. I appreciate you listening. Hopefully this was helpful and you really rethinking your business and trying to get a better outcome and change your approach a little bit to really maximize your efforts. Because like I've said many times, and I'll continue to say, when you work a job 10 to 14 hours a day, you want great results at the end of the day. You don't want to feel bad. You don't want to feel like you let yourself down or your team. And strategy is going to fix a lot of those things. So get out there, run a great shift. I'll talk to you next time. If you are interested in any coaching or restaurant consulting, you can visit my website. It'll be in the link uh, in the notes for this podcast. But the website is www.vincentcasse.com. And I welcome any conversation from anyone. I love helping people do great and run better restaurants. So I'd be happy to support you in your endeavors. Thank you so much.